0: 2 Kings chapter 4 today, the title of our message is Oil Strike. Imagine waking up one moment as a child, feeling unwanted and unloved, being abandoned by the one person, your mother, who is supposed to show you unconditional love and acceptance. That's what happened to Zania and her little brother. Zania and her brother were abandoned by their mother, when she could no longer provide for them. So they were placed in a Russian orphanage with about 120 other kids. Zania recalled that one major highlight for her childhood was once a month, her and those little orphan boys and girls were bused into a public bathhouse for a shower. She wrote this in her testimony. She said, in my group, we shared one bar of soap. Imagine one bar of soap among 30 girls. She said, still, we felt lucky to get our once-a-month shower. So on one Christmas Eve, Zania and the other children in the orphanage were assembled, and they were told by the director of the orphanage that a Surprise presents had arrived from American friends. So Zania's orphanage had received a special delivery of shoeboxes from Operation Christmas Child. Zanya remembered that life-changing day. She wrote, At age 12, I received my shoebox wrapped in blue Christmas paper. There was a slinky inside and some small rubber balls And a nice white washcloth, too. Looking at the washcloth, I thought, what is this? I had no idea how to use it. But best of all, she said, there was a bar of scented soap. And I put it up to my nose and, oh, it smelled so wonderful. She said, that bar of soap was the great present that I had never been given before. It was precious to me. It was my own bar of soap. She said, I specifically remember that I didn't want anyone else to use it because I had never had my own bar of soap. Now, we're going to find out a little bit later on in the message, the rest of the story, and how that simple bar of soap and that simple gift changed the life of Xenia. When I read her story, though, I was reminded so much of a desperate widow, a single mom, that we meet here in 2 Kings chapter 4. Now keep in mind that Elisha had just done a tremendous miracle of deliverance. He had saved three armies from dying of thirst in the desert in chapter 3. And now in this chapter, he turns to help a widowed woman who was surprised by the unexpected death of her husband. And it's really interesting to me how the Bible positions these stories back to back because we see that not only can God do great things for the masses, but we're also noticing here that He is attentive to the individual needs of forgotten people. People like Xenia. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 68, 5, that the Lord is a father to the fatherless and He's a defender of the widows. Yes, God can move mountains and God can split seas and God can crumble walls. But friend, I'm here today to tell you that He can also feed the sparrows. He can also mend up the brokenhearted. He can also come into your little world where you think nobody else sees my need and He can meet your need with an abundant supply of grace. And this episode that we're going to read here today out of Elisha's ministry teaches us at least three principles about God's amazing provision. So I want you to notice number one with me as we study this morning our potential and faith. And the principle is this before we see God's provision, we must first see potential. Now, if you've ever lived through a season of trials, you learned something about them. And that is, trials very rarely come solo. Very rarely do they ever come alone because trials and troubles come in twins and triplets, don't they? When it rains, it pours. Amen? And that's what this little widow had experienced in her life. See what verse 1 says. Now, the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. My goodness. Could you imagine the plight of this woman? She just buried her husband. Not only is she emotionally broken, but now that the primary breadwinner of the house is no longer there, she's also financially broken to the point that the person to whom she owed was knocking on the door saying, I needed those bills paid yesterday, and if you don't pay up, I'm coming to take your children as slaves. Now consequently, it's this type of setup that's going to be the situation for the supernatural to come into her life. Enter the prophet Elisha who hears of her poverty and her plight. And he asked her an interesting question. Look at verse 2. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Notice what it says here. Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except, watch this, a jar of oil. (laughs) My goodness. You think about this little widow. She could have been paralyzed by focusing on what she didn't have. But instead, she started with the man of God by pointing to him what little she did have. You see, this widow is about to learn a profound lesson. A lesson that maybe we need to learn today. And that is this. All that God needs is all that you have. How many times do we want to discount God in our poverty because what we think we have is not enough for Him to work with. <laughs> well, You know, one of the enemy's tactics in our lives is to get us to focus on what we don't have or what we used to have or what somebody else has rather than on what we do have and what God can do with that little bit. You see, when... This happens, we forget to ask that simple question. God, what can you do with the little that I bring? And unfortunately, so many of us get trapped in that if-then type of mindset. You know what I'm talking about? If I could sing, then I could serve the Lord greater. Uh, If my church had a state-of-the-art facility, then we could grow. If I made more money, then I could start trusting God and tithing. But friend, that kind of thinking handcuffs our faith because then we become trapped spending our time making excuses for why we can't, missing out on the fact that God says, I can in fact, I did a little survey of the Scriptures this week. You can survey the Bible, from Old Testament to New Testament, and what you find is that God doesn't need much to work with. Amen? I'm testimony to that. The fact that I'm preaching to you today is testimony that God doesn't need much to work with. Think about the first verse of the Bible. What does God say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, He made everything starting from molecules to man with absolutely nothing. When God called Moses, Exodus chapter 4 and verse 2, Moses tried to make all kinds of excuses of why God couldn't use him. He said, God, I've got a stuttering problem. And God said, don't you worry about that, Moses. I'll put the words in your mouth. Moses, what do you have in your hand? And he said, I have a rod. God said, that's enough. Throw that rod down, and what did it turn into? A serpent. And it ate the Pharaoh's magician's serpent, and then he picked up that rod and touched the Nile River and turned it to blood. When God chose David, David didn't have much in his possession. He was the runt of the litter, the least of his brother's. But that's the one that God chose to deliver His people. He didn't have really anything in His possessions except a sling. The Bible says He went down to the creek bank and He picked up five smooth stones. It might as well have been a guided missile that God used to take down a giant. I'm telling you, friend, God doesn't need much to work with today. Think about when the angel came to Mary. Mary didn't have wealth. She didn't have a name, she didn't have power, but what she did have was a submissive and a willing spirit. And she said, Lord, if you'll have me to be the mother of the Messiah, I'll give myself to you, i offer my womb. And then when Jesus looked upon those hungry masses, they said, Lord, how are we going to feed them? And I think the Bible says that Andrew brought him a little boy's sack lunch, a few loaves and fishes, and he broke it, and they kept breaking until there was 12 baskets left over. Friend, I'm telling you, God doesn't need much. He can prepare a table in the wilderness. Imagine, friend, if we had those kind of eyes, eyes of faith to see that what we need is all around us already, As the old song used to say, we don't sing it much anymore. Maybe we need to. Little is much when God is in it. Instead of limiting God by focusing on what we don't have, why don't we take what we do have and fully surrender it to the Lord and say, God, what can you do with my two mites? God, what can you do with my broken life? God, what can you do with my messed up marriage? God, what can you do with my prodigal son or daughter? God, what can you do with my meager little self? And what you might find, friend, is what this widow discovered, that that thing that you think is your greatest limitation might actually be the great opportunity for God to step in and do something like you've never seen before. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He wrote this in one of his books. He said, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. Listen to how divine mathematics work. This is horrible mathematics, but this is what happens when God gets in the equation. God plus nothing equals everything. Amen? But everything minus God equals nothing. Let me say that again. God plus nothing equals everything, but everything minus God equals nothing. That's how Paul can write, If God be for us, who shall be against us? You see, the first thing we notice here is number one, our potential... And faith. Before we see God's provision, we have to see that potential. Then, number two, I want you to notice with me today our provider and faith. Our provider and faith. And what I mean by that is this before we receive, God wants to see how much we believe. Read with me verse three, and you'll notice how this plays out. Then he said, speaking of Elisha, Go outside and borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. And then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And when they brought the vessels to her, and the vessels were full, she said to them, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. And the oil stopped flowing, and she came and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debt. You and your sons can live on the rest. Now imagine this poor little widow lady going door to door, through the neighborhood, through the village, knocking on the door. Hey, can I have your Tupperware? Can I have your mason jars? Can I have your pots? Can I have your pans? You got any spare cups that you can let me borrow today? How awkward do you think she felt trying to explain that to her neighbors? I'm sure she probably felt a little foolish doing this exercise that the man of God had given her. He said, go out and get as many vessels as you can. By the way, don't you know that in order to be victorious, sometimes you have to be willing to look ridiculous? Sometimes you have to step out on faith and trust God for what may not make logical sense in human reasoning. Faith doesn't act on explanation. Faith acts on promises. And a faithful believer obeys God's Word before they experience God's wonders. So it's interesting what the prophet told her. He said, go out and make sure you can get as many jars as you can. In other words, notice what he's telling her. Bring into your house as many jars as you have faith that God will fill. You see, the amount of oil that the widow was about to receive from God was dependent on how she believed in God. As long as there was something to fill, the oil would keep flowing, wouldn't it? Because our God isn't a halfway God. He does it all the way above and beyond abundant. And think about this, friend. Whatever we bring to God, He can fill it. Some of us are content with a Dixie cup, and some of us have brought the 55-gallon drum and said, Lord, fill it, please. So the question you need to ask yourself today is how big is your God? How much faith do you bring to Him to say, Lord, fill it up today? Because, friend, I'm telling you that His flow will always meet our need. Remember what Paul said? I will meet all your need according to my riches and glory. As far as I know, the bank of heaven has never declared bankruptcy. There's never a shortage in the throne room of heaven. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we think or ask. You see, before we receive, God asks that question, well, how much do you believe? James says, you have not because you ask not. Some of you don't have because you ask amiss or you ask in doubt. A few days ago, we were digging up taters in the garden. Daniel doesn't call them taters. He calls them tatoes. I told Daniel what we were going to be doing. I said, it's tater digging day. He was excited. I told him, I said, we're going to need a few tools to do this job. I said, we'll need a a hoe. We'll need a shovel, and we'll need a bucket. I said, Daniel, why don't you go off and find us a bucket? Okay, Daddy. So we went away. Went down into the garden. You know what he comes back with? A wheelbarrow. (laughs) He's pushing that wheelbarrow down to the edge of the garden. I said, Daniel, I said, I thought I told you to get a bucket. He said, Daddy, I got the wheelbarrow. He said, because we're going to be digging a lot of tatos today. And I got to thinking about that as I was looking at this sermon. My son could have brought a little sand bucket. He could have brought it and said, alright, we're going to fill this up. But my little boy was thinking big. When I said, son, we're going to be digging taters... He naturally assumed we're going to be hauling them out by the wheelbarrow load, the bushel load. We're going to have a basement full. And praise God, it was a good harvest. But childlike faith, what a reminder to you and I as adults, we oftentimes want to put limits on God. say, God can't work in my situation. I'm too low. I'm too broken. I'm used up. There's no way God can meet my need. But a childlike faith comes to God and says, I'm bringing the wheelbarrow load, Lord, and I'm asking you to fill Feel it in a way that only you can. Pressed down, shaking together, running over, drinking from the saucer. Do you serve that kind of God here today, friends? As I was studying this passage, I was looking at it, and I thought, what a wonderful picture of the Gospel. What a great Gospel connection we see here in this passage. This widow, she comes to Elisha, impoverished, and with great debt that she could not pay. And friend, just so the sinner comes to God, spiritually bankrupt, with a huge sin debt that he cannot pay, the widow brings nothing but empty vessels and trusts God to fill it. And the sinner can bring nothing to God except an empty life, a broken life. Nothing in my hand I bring. Only to thy cross I cling. The widow's jars. Oh, would you have loved to have been in that room? Mama, Mama, look, it's filling up. Well, son, go get another one. Go get another And they brought it back and filled it again and again. Mama, we ain't got no more jars. Praise God, he's come through. The widow's jars, listen to me, brought... An endless supply of oil. When we surrender to the Lord, He has an endless, superabundant grace that never stops flowing into our lives. He said, I'll fill you with my spirit. I'll fill you with my word. I'll fill you with all good things. And the widow's debt, oh, was the widow's debt paid? And then some, she had some to live on into the future. Friend, I'm telling you this superabundant God. He says, not only am I forgiving your sin debt by the the blood, by the flow from Calvary, oh, but there'll be enough supply of grace for tomorrow and the next day and the next day and a year from now. And when you reach into eternity, you will have only touched the hem of the garment of my superabundant grace. Oh, he paid a debt he did not owe because I owed a debt I could not pay. That number right there, friend. Number two is our provider and faith. Before we receive, God wants to know how much you believe. You know what the flip side of this thing is? Sweating now. The flip side of this equation is You have to be empty in order for God to fill you. Some of us are so full of other things, like our pride or our doubt or our self-sufficiency. I can do this on my own. Or our fear. And God can't fill us up. You have to come to God empty. But friend, when you come and you declare that spiritual bankruptcy, you'll find that He'll fill you up again. And again, and again, and again. And then I'll close with this, number three. Oh, this is so good. Number three, notice this. Our prayers and faith. Our prayers and faith. And here's what I want you to see. Before God opens His supply, we must first close the door and pray. Notice what it says in verse 5 real quick. I just want to point this out to you. It's so profound. The man of God tells her, then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when it is full, set it aside. So she went in from him, watch this, and shut the door behind. A miracle of multiplication. But it took place, notice this, in private. Who saw this miracle? the widow, and her little family there. There might have been good reason for this, by the way, because the prophet knew those folks who loaned her those jars, if they suddenly saw that now they were full of oil, they may have wanted to claim the blessing, but they didn't show any faith to get it. And then also, where's Elisha in this? Is he in the room? No, he's not in the room. Go in and shut the door behind you. Trust God in what God can do. It was evidence of the fact that this miracle of multiplication didn't need man. It was all of God. God alone in that little room. And you know what? She was really teaching this little widow lady. Listen to me. God is teaching this little widow lady in this moment. I'm going to be your husband now. I'm taking care of your spiritual needs. I'm taking care of your physical needs. You don't need to turn to anybody else to be your source and supply. I am the defender of the widow. Now, here's the application for you and I. Listen to this. There are some needs in your life that can only be met When you get alone with God, close the door behind and have personal worship and prayer with Him. A song won't do it, although music is great and can lead you into a spirit of worship. A man of God can't do it because you can't piggyback off of somebody else's faith. You have to go in to that secret hour, into that quiet place and say, God, I'm broken. God, I'm needy. Lord, I'm like the deer panning for the water brook. Lord, you've got to fill me today or I can't go on. Remember what Jesus said? Matthew 6, 6. What did He tell us? He said, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Ian Bounds, that great prayer warrior from years ago, he said this, Prayer is not learned in a classroom, but in the closet. Maybe one reason why we don't see God breaking through in our situation is because we haven't got desperate enough to close the door and cry out for God to do something. We want God's promises without God's processes. And you know what the Lord is really after? He's after your heart. Lord is after your intimacy, that fellowship. He wants to meet with you and pour into your life for that day and the day after. I can't tell you how many times this has happened in my own spiritual life. And God has met the need exactly the way that it needed to be met. There are times when I feel so spiritually empty. Like when you do a funeral or when you visit somebody who's sick and you are spent spiritually. You have nothing else to give. You go to the Word of God and sometimes the Bible is even a closed book. I can't get a message out, Lord. You've got to open the windows and help me. There are times when my soul is so restless and knotted up. Problems just seem to be piling up. This person's not happy and there's a complaint over here. And oh my goodness, look at the budget this week. And I have no answers. I have no resources. But then, oh praise God, I could close the door. I can shut the world out and say, God, here's my emptiness. Lord, will you fill me today? And friend, I'm telling you that my God can invade that little room in a powerful way. He can meet your need. He can flow into your life. And I find out that that grace, that grace has been damned up. I'm the one who's damned it up in my life through my fear, through my distrust, through my worry, through my anxiety. And God just pulls the plug on It says, Here, drink now, son. You can have all you want and then some. Friend, I'm telling you, God comes through. When you get in that intimacy with Him, He fills you up. He meets your need. And you find out Oh, there's still grace for today. That well hadn't run dry. There's still a supply for the child of God. And friend, when the Lord starts pouring in, when the Lord starts pouring in, I find that my soul is too small to contain it all. He just keeps blessing and blessing and pouring in and say, all right, Lord, I got it. I got enough, Lord. Thank you. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm preaching about here today? Some of you do and some of you don't. But friend, when you know that God comes through in your life, you get that sweet spot. Lord, do we have to leave now? I was reading a book this week. It's out of print. The book is titled, He Leadeth Me. And the author is doing an exposition in this book of Psalm 23. And in one chapter, he writes about that phrase in Psalm 23. He prepares a table for me. And he talks about how we have intimacy with Christ. Listen to what this writer says. He says, not only does the shepherd lead his sheep into the best pastures, but as he journeys... He noticed high on the banks, perhaps beyond the reach of the sheep, sweet and juicy herbs such as the sheep like. These he plucks, but does not cast to the ground. Then too, high on the branches of trees, will be tender leaves and fruit. He breaks off those tasty morsels and holds them in his hand behind him, and the sheep nibble from his hand as he ambles in front. You got the picture? And listen to what he says. He says, these treats are only for the sheep that walk closest to the shepherd. My friend, he said, it pays to walk close to the good shepherd. It is those who walk nearest to them who receive all the revelations, all the joy, and the deep and real experiences of fellowship with him. Friend, this lady left that room utterly changed because God can't be kept out. He met her need. Y'all about to give me a heart attack. (laughs) Let me close today. Remember our friend Zania? She got the little gift soap in the orphanage. Did you know that that little bar of soap changed her life? Here's what she said in her testimony. She said, that bar of soap told me that somebody out there loved me and that God did too. She heard the gospel through Samaritan's Purse and gave her life to Jesus. That's not the end of the story. She said, that bar of soap gave me hope. It was precious to me. I decided I would hide it from other kids so that it wouldn't get stolen. Can you imagine? She said, I was afraid to use it because I didn't want other kids to discover it. And she said, I didn't want the soap to run out. So Zania prayed, Listen to this, she prayed, God, make my soap last. Here's what happened. So when it came time for a shower each month, Zania would sneak out her bar of soap, use it sparingly, and then put it back in the little white cardboard box that it came with and hide it for the next month. She said, I did this for two years until I grew up and it was time for me to leave the orphanage. And she said, it seemed to me that that little bar of soap never ran out. She said, I walked out of that orphanage with two things in my possession. The Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior and a little bar of soap that never went away. But it ain't over. I sound like a telemarketer, don't I? It ain't over yet. She was able to immigrate to the United States. Today, she's an American citizen. She lives in Texas and belongs to a good church. And here's what she said. To the person that packed my shoebox, I say, thank you. You gave me something small, but it was significant. It changed my life. She says, now today, I pack shoeboxes. And you better be certain that every box that I packed, she said, I put one bar of scented soap inside because I want one little girl or one little boy around the world to have that same feeling that I did when I opened it. And friend, here's what I want to say to you today. It's the same God. He ain't changed. His power hasn't diminished. His love hasn't lessened. It's the same God who provided for that little widow. It's the same God who was looking after Zenia over in Russia, and it's the same God who knows where you sleep at night and knows your need. He knows your need. Do you need to come down today and start something new in faith? Trust Him in a new way? You need to ask for forgiveness? Lord, I haven't trusted You like I should. Lord, I've been holding back and not not giving and asking You to fill. I don't know what the need is in your life. The Holy Spirit has spoken to you. Our musicians are coming. And and, and you come now. Maybe you need that touch of grace in your life. You, You are broken and you're empty and you don't know the Lord's love and you don't know the Lord's mercy. Hey, He can still pour into your life today. He died on the cross for your sins. rose from the grave on the third day. You come today. This altar is going to be open. Let the Lord do what He needs to do today. Don't be in a rush. Don't be in a hurry. God is moving.